welcome to the Spectrum Policy Podcast, brought to you by Policy Tracker, which provides news, research, and training about spectrum management. What we do on the Spectrum Policy Podcast is to take a topic which has been in the news and consider the interesting issues which lie behind it. And the podcast is not only for spectrum policy geeks, it's also for people who are new to the subject. So we're going to try our best to explain it to the newbie. I'm Martin Sims, Policy Tracker's Managing Director, and today's subject is wholesale mobile networks. As you might know, a wholesale mobile network is one that mobile operators don't own. It's typically owned by the state, but the mobile operators buy capacity on it, rather like renting a house rather than buying one. And like renting a house, renting capacity on a wholesale mobile network doesn't require such a huge capital outlay that's needed to build one yourself. It was a popular policy idea until about five years ago, seen as a way of stimulating competition or reducing the costs of national rollout. In fact, it's rather gone out of fashion. And in this podcast, we're going to discuss why and consider whether this policy approach is in terminal decline. To do that, I'm joined by two policy tracker colleagues, both of whom are called Richard which makes the presenter's task a bit more difficult. With me here in London, we have Richard Haas, and in Australia, we have our Asia editor, Richard Hanford. So let me start with Richard in London. First of all, why have single wholesale networks been in the news recently? So there's two interesting things that happened in the news recently. The first was in Rwanda, where they do have a 4G wholesale network. Uh, But the regulator announced late last year that it was doing a new broadband plan. And as part of this plan, they kind of hinted at the fact that they would drop the wholesale network that they currently have. So that's something the regulator has been working towards in Rwanda. And then we also got news out of Poland, who had, also, who had been considering a wholesale network in a new uh, draft of a cybersecurity law that they were working on. And they finally decided to drop it as well. And they confirmed that with us. So we're kind of seeing a decline in, in this model. And countries that have adopted it, like Rwanda, are reconsidering. What's Richard in Australia? Is it the same story at the countries you've been looking at? I I think so, Martin. Um, I think it is. Uh, The most high profile, the flagship sort of uh, project um, in Asia uh, was in Malaysia, where the the state backed a a single wholesale network um, called uh, DNB, which launched commercially at the end of December 2000. Uh, and 21, 21, uh, 20, yeah, 2021. Um, and um, it was always faced opposition from the country's mobile operators. Um, and this was um, m- made its progress. It made uh, progress hard for the, for the project. Um, and then when there was a, a new government elected um, earlier this year, the project came under review. So it's currently being assessed whether to um, go ahead with it or not. I mean, partly this feels like a, a political a political decision. Um, the government's talked about not being happy with the transparency of how it was uh, created. Um, but it's certainly a, a, a setback. And it reflects also the opposition, I think, of, of the country's operators, one of whom, Maxis, one of the more important ones, one of the leading operators in the country has never even signed a wholesale deal with DNB and has been pretty, pretty um, resolute in its opposition. 
so that's that's kind of the picture in Asia, really. That's certainly a setback for these types of networks, I think, what happened in Malaysia. And you mentioned the political aspect mm. to it. Thinking in simplistic terms, you would imagine that things being owned by the state would be more favoured by those of a left-wing disposition than those of a right-wing disposition. Is it as simple as that? Uh, I'm not so sure that you can align certainly Malaysian politics of right and left quite 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 so simply. I think possibly one one could see that. Um, I certainly think uh, uh, having a single wholesale network would be a way to achieve policy objectives. By which I mean, if you felt it was important to have a high speed broadband available universally in a country even in the less populated, rural, economically disadvantaged areas, that it could be seen as perhaps a left-wing agenda to have a, a, a um, state involvement to ensure that network is ubiquitous in a way, rather than relying on free market forces. We've talked about things that have been in the news recently, but there are some things that haven't been in the news recently that also relate to single mobile networks. So there's a single mobile network in Mexico, most famously. Can you tell us anything about that, Richard? It's as Richard in London. <laughs> yeah, sure. The Mexican model is interesting, and it's it was kind of born out of the dominance of uh, America Mobile, which is very dominant in the Mexican market. So as part of challenging that, uh, the government proposed this wholesale model. And it's been going for a few years, but it had some trouble a few years ago where the company which runs it, uh, Atlan Redis, I think it's called, uh, announced that they were going bankrupt. So this was kind of a lot of people who were cheering this on, uh, saw this as an example of why these models don't work. Uh, it was later bailed out by the government so it's, it's, it appears to still be operational, but it continues to be highly criticised by mobile operators. And is it much used, do you know? Um, I think so. Uh, it, it's a high coverage uh, network. So it works in 700 megahertz, which provides a lot of coverage for operators. So I think there is an incentive to use it. And I believe all of the mobile operators are using it. Mm. In fact... Another way of looking at what you all just said is you've come up with four or five examples of wholesale mobile networks in, you know, they're 200 countries and we've got four or five examples of it. Is is is, is that it? Is, it? is that the, you know, as far as it's got? Is, is it something that um, has been considered and is not being considered anymore, do you think, Richard, in Australia? Uh, yes, I, I actually do. I think there's... Um various other potential ways of achieving the same objective around network sharing, whereby you don't have to resort just to a, uh, you know, a, a, the state running a single network. You can have m multiple networks still with an element of sharing between individual operators. And this can be done on a commercial basis. Um, and there's a lot of innovation in this area in, in a number of countries uh, around Asia, for instance, Singapore, they have what they call rather than single wholesale networks or SWN, they have what they call DWN, dual wholesale networks. So two of the country's operators have come together to run one network um, and 
another operator, the, the market leader, Singtel, is is also running a network. So you that way you still have an element of competition while saving cost through network sharing. Um, so I think people have looked for other models. Just sorry, just to interrupt. So so that's that's similar to the sort of joint ventures. Mm. To run mobile networks that you get in you, you get in Britain yes. and Sweden and lots of other yeah. European countries. It's a, yes. the same thing by a slightly different name, isn't I it? I think so, except in the case of Singapore, this network, joint network, covers the whole country. Um, admittedly, that's not a very large country, Singapore. But <laughs> whereas I think the UK Swedish examples, um, they're about rural coverage, aren't they? They're more regional networks rather than a a national network. Um, similarly, in China, uh, the country has four operators and they're split into two pairs for network sharing for 5G. And they're network sharing, as far as I know, across the whole of China. So they're doing it that way rather than relying on a single, a single network. Mm. So the, the idea of a state-owned mobile network has kind of been overtaken by joint ventures. Is that your your view, Richard, in London? Yeah, I think so. And you also see other models. There's also the neutral host model, mm. which has seen a lot more interest recently. In London, a company called BAI is building a network on the London Underground, for example. And that works in a different way because that company doesn't own the spectrum. It's kind of not government mandated. Uh, so it's up to operators whether they mm. take part. And this is a more flexible model for operators, but sort of achieve some of the similar aims uh, because obviously achieving coverage in some places is financially difficult and a, dent, a, a neutral network is potentially another solution for that. And then you've also got network sharing kind of more broadly amongst operators, which often happens kind of quietly and we don't really know about it, but various operators share their infrastructure and that can be active, meaning the antennas, or it can just be passive, so it's the same site, you know, the same tops of a building, uh, um, or something like that. So you see all these other solutions kind of maybe filling the gap that was left by by, by the kind of failure of the wholesale government model. Mm. And it seemed like it was something that didn't really appeal in those countries which have had a sort of tradition of regulating commercial mobile. Uh, so you could argue that a lot of European countries, uh, they accept that mobile is predominantly a, it's a commercial enterprise and the job of the, the government and the regulatory bodies is to, is to um, uh, regulate that in a way that uh, is to the best advantage of the consumer. And I think many of them, would feel that getting the state involved in actually building a commercial network, sorry, building a, a wholesale network is a step too far. Did, did, does that seem, does that seem right from your looking at it in Asia where you've got probably countries who are a bit more comfortable with, with more state intervention than you have in Europe? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I still think that probably a similar emotion uh, prevails here because just that the history of the mobile industry is around uh, operators building their own networks and running services on them. So, and and that model has proved globally successful. That market um, model of market competition, you know, you can argue in other uh, 
areas of the economy, it's been less university successful. But in mobile communications, it's been incredibly successful in terms of driving penetration, not just for, you know, the, the, the wealthiest parts of society, but for the whole of society. And that's been true in Asia as much as Europe. So I, I think here, similar to Europe, I think there would be, there's a reluctance to move away from that model that's proved pretty successful. Although one can argue perhaps with 5G, there's a step change there and we can maybe talk about that. Um, but I also think the opposition of mobile phone companies is pretty significant, that they are very reluctant to go down the route of um, using single wholesale networks because it essentially it essentially um, reduces their role very significantly to just being retailers, service providers. And only the network is such a, an essential part of the identity of being a mobile phone operator. I don't think they would ever want to give that up. Well, that's a, that's a good point, isn't it? The, the GSMA, the mobile industry group, has always been against mobile single wholesale mobile networks. Um, Richard, in London, maybe you can explain a bit more about that. I mean, does it come down to the fact that you you can make, if you own the network, you potentially make make a lot more money from it, and uh, if you're just a a, a sort of a, a, a consumer-focused company that's buying network capacity, you can, you can never make as much money. Is, is that the, the crux of it, or is it more complicated than that? Maybe. I mean, that might be the more cynical view <laughs> of it. Um, I think what mobile operators... Not, well, not necessarily cynical. I mean, people, people are entitled to make money. That's a... Yeah. Well, what the GSMA has kind of said in response to these wholesale networks, they say, look, you, know, you can. we understand what you're trying to achieve, but this can be achieved much better in a highly competitive market. We have lots of operators competing. Uh, and then they kind of say, if there is still kind of gaps in that market failures, you can have very targeted approaches to that. So I think they, they kind of argue it's not worth the risk because we have these more targeted approaches. Uh, I think we mentioned the UK model, the shared rural network in the UK, where the government's putting in some money and so are the mobile operators. And they seem much more comfortable with solutions like that because they're less interventionist and there's a kind of less heavy hand of the government involved, which they argue is more likely to go wrong. And, and maybe from some of the examples we've seen, we've talked about today, you know, there might be some truth in that. Mm. Richard, in Australia, the, you, you mentioned the 5G era. Mm. Do, do you think that um, wholesale single wholesale networks might make a, a comeback in the 5G era? From, from where we are now, it looks, it looks unlikely now, but one could imagine a scenario, for instance, where governments become concerned about the lack of take-up of um, 5G. And by 5G, I mean particularly the use of um, what we call millimetre wave, which um, are parts of the spectrum that have very high bandwidth, but very low propagation, which means you have to invest very heavily in, in the networks to, to get coverage, which makes using these millimetre wave bands very, very expensive to deploy, um, but potentially beneficial in terms of providing very high-speed services, for instance, in use by industry. Um, and if a government thought that was of strategic importance, they might, they might be concerned if mobile operators were dragging their feet in deploying such networks. And there are signs that 
that the mobile operators are a little reluctant to invest too heavily in millimeter wave. So you can imagine a scenario where a government might say, right, we'll build we'll build a, a, a network of some kind of millimeter wave and all the operators can kind of rent capacity on it or or, 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 or encourage some sort of public-private joint venture if, if, if they thought that these millimeter waves and deploying 5G was of strategic importance. I hasten to add there's no sign of this happening so far, but I'm sort of imagining scenarios in the future um, whereby wholesale networks might come into play. But but maybe it might be more a case of what um, the other Richard would say, more, more to do with um, sort of uh, single hosted networks in locations, very busy locations like sports stadium, for instance, where you might you might have a kind of hotspot operated by a, a specialist company. That might be one way it could happen still. Yeah, I think mobile operators find themselves currently in a very kind of precarious economic situation. And I think they realize that there's help needed from government in some form. I think Vodafone in the UK has said they're rolling out a, um, a standalone network and they've said, we can't do this across the whole country without support. So I think they there's an acknowledgement that there needs to be more involvement from the government. But I think mobile operators are going to be very keen on that involvement not being as invasive as a single wholesale model. And I think the trend we've seen is generally going in the other direction, that these are becoming less popular. And you know, like I mentioned, Rwanda is dropping its network, which has been operational for many years. So it's kind of signaling to me that we're going in that direction. Do you think that neutral hosts can provide 5G services in a way that also makes it unnecessary for uh, uh, to have a single a wholesale mobile network? If, it, For example, the neutral hosts um, have licenses in New Zealand, don't they? Do they in Australia as well? True. Uh, um, there's a company called Densair, which has licenses in Australia and New Zealand. And in New Zealand, it's a very interesting model. They're trying to do a deal with the government whereby in remote or slightly uh, inaccessible areas, um, this company, Densair, will produce a host network that I, I think will then be accessed by um, the country's mobile operators. And the key to that work will be, be how the finances work with that. There must be some element, I think, in which maybe the state will support them. There'll be a contract in some way. Um, I'm not sure exactly the details how that worked, but you could see how that could be that kind of approach could be a model whereby the state doesn't actually try and you know run the network itself, employ somebody capable and experienced at doing that, but they have some sort of role to incentivize um, incentivize you know this third party to to build a network. So it's rather like a a commercial entity is appearing and providing a wholesale mobile network without the government needing to do it. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that 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 is um, more the approach that they uh, they are they are looking for. Maybe there's been some kind of evolution on thinking. I mean, also the other other thing worth mentioning is governments have other kind of levers if they want to encourage, um, you know network coverage by operators. They can make this a condition when they award spectrum, for instance. There's other ways they can, um, you know, encourage 
operators to to uh, invest in in, in uh, networks and ensure coverage. I mean, setting up their own single wholesale networks, if you like, is a slightly crude approach, and maybe governments have used now now realize that they can work in more subtle ways to achieve the similar aims and it's a lot of work isn't it a lot mm. of money involved a lot of risk yeah probably quite a big policy change in some countries mm. it seems to be the reason for uh, it not, not taking off in the way though its proponents imagined quite some some years ago now well thank you very much richard hanford in australia and richard Haas here in london and if you're interested in wholesale mobile networks, Richard Hass has just written a research note about it. And uh, you can see in a lot more detail some of the issues that we've discussed there. Um, that's available as part of our Spectrum Research Service. And uh, you can see more about it on our website, which is www.policytracker.com. If you found this podcast enjoyable, please subscribe to it. It's available on all major platforms, the Spectrum Policy Podcast. So thank you very much and look forward to the next edition. Music.